Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Beth had known for some time that I wanted to buy a kayak. Okay, this is something that I talked about for several months, especially whenever we moved back to Tennessee. So she thought it would be a good idea and would make a, a fun Memorial Day trip this this past year, fun Memorial Day weekend, if we rented a bunch of kayaks and, and our family, including some members of our extended family, decided to take a trip. The older kids, uh, you see this wonderful, my head got cut out. How does that happen? But anyway, and also we, we look very happy. Social media is fake, just, just so you guys know that, okay? So the older kids each got a kayak. My mother-in-law gets one. Dad and Angie get one that they share, and Beth and I get one that we share. It's a beautiful day. Everyone's having a, a graceful, enjoyable day except for Beth and I because everyone is gracefully moving in their kayak, and I think if we had been in our own separate kayaks, we would have been okay. But we were in one together, and we're do- we'd never been in a boat before by ourselves. We're- this is a, a test in marriage. So we're, we're doing circles, and there is, there is some language going on inside of that kayak and some things that are being said that is, that is not very pastoral. Let me say it that way. So we're arguing at one another, and what's more frustrating and embarrassing is that there are all these suggestions from outside of the boat, just do this, just do that. And then also people are saying, do you want to switch? Do you want to just, do you want to have your own and then me go with one of you to show you? And that's just not what I'm about. I'm, I'm going to learn things. All right. So we're arguing with one another and, and, and having some issues brewing in, in the kayak. All right. So we finally managed to get over to the rest of the group where the kids are swimming and everybody's having a good time here 30 minutes later. And we get out and, and, and Beth and I are very different. And part of the problem is we both have very dominant personalities. I would say, and and Callie has agreed with this and others probably would as well, hers is more stubbornness and mine is more controlling. All right. But either way, we were having problems. So we get over to the side, to the bank and Beth says, and keep in mind, this was her idea and it was a good idea. I just want to go home. That's what she says. And it's still even very early on and me trying to be the optimist no, we just got to continue to try this. We've got to get back out there. We're going to conquer this. We're going to do that. No, I just want to go home. I'm done with this day. All right, because to be completely honest with you for a few minutes or longer, it was very humiliating. So we get back in, we work through our miscommunication and through trial and error, and eventually we have it down and it ends up being a wonderful day. We just had to work through our personal egos and all that kind of stuff. So I am going to return to that here in just a little while. We are in part five. So we're almost there just one more week. And then we have Easter. 
But we're in part five of a six-week series titled Rhythm, the True Story of God's Grace. So where have we been? We've introduced the concept of God's grace. We've discussed how grace frees us from the past. You no longer have to live in the light of who you used to be, or we could say the darkness of who you used to be. You're free. You're completely free to live this. It doesn't matter if your mistakes were years ago or yesterday. His mercy is new every single day. And then in week three, we talked about how this should empower us to live differently. And then last week, we talked about the relationship between grace and humility. Today, I want to discuss a concept of grace that is a little bit different than the way that you probably think about grace. And the reason I say this is different is because we live in a very individualistic society. So whenever we think about grace, we often think about personal grace, which is very important. But today I want to introduce something, if you're not familiar with this, that we need to be talking about more and more, and it's the idea of communal grace or experiencing grace together. And this idea of communal grace or this experience of grace within the body, the best way that I can illustrate that to you is through something that we are going to be doing today which is partaking in the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, or communion, whatever it is your preference to call it. So we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll get there in just a second. You can look it up on your phone, use the screen, however you want to do it. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul approaches the dangers and the problems with idol worship. There is a lot of this that is going on, idol worship, within Corinth. Okay, Corinth is a a port city that a lot of travelers end up stopping at, and there's a lot of sin, specifically sexual sin, that is going on in Corinth. All right, so he compares this to the Israelites in the wilderness, specifically when we think about the golden calf or false idols. And by the way, we still have false gods today. This passage is as relevant, as important, and as critical in every way as it is in the first century, whenever Paul is writing this letter. It's going to speak directly. I promise it's going to speak directly to where we are today as a church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to look at verses 14 through 24. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 14 through 24. This is what scripture says in Paul's letter. So then, my dear friends, run away from the worship of false gods. He sees the presence of this going on in the church. I'm talking to you like you are sensible people. Think about what I'm saying. Isn't the cup of blessing that we bless, and he goes straight to the cup. He goes straight to this practice of communal meals and Eucharist. Okay, isn't it a sharing in the blood of Christ? Isn't the loaf of bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf of bread, we who are many in one body, because we all share the one loaf of bread. Look at the people of Israel. Don't those who who eat the sacrifices share from the altar? What am I saying then? That the food sacrificed to a false god is anything, or that a false god is anything? No, but that this sacrifice is sacrificed to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be sharing in demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord 
and the cup of demons. You can't participate in the table of the Lord and in the table of demons. Or should we make the Lord jealous? We aren't stronger than he is, are we? Everything is permitted, but everything isn't beneficial. Everything is permitted, but everything doesn't build others up. No one should look out for their own advantage, but they should look out for each other. And what a message that is for us in society today, that we shouldn't look out in this American me first mentality, but that we should look out for other believers, that we should actually be looking out for one another. So I want you to notice that Paul demonstrates an unwavering commitment to believers as a group, not simply on the individual level. And in doing so, he's identifying what we have together through the experience of grace, and he is forming what we could call a sacramental community. So I'd like to place some emphasis this morning on an important word, and some of your groups are going to talk about this this word tonight. It's the word share, and it comes from the Greek word koinonia. Now, there are a lot of important New Testament words, but one of the most important, in fact, for me, probably in the top five that are often neglected is this word koinonia, all right? Uh, And this is what he says in verse 16. Isn't the cup, and he's talking about all this strife that is going on. Some people are going in the direction of these false gods. Some people are going in the direction of these false gods. And there is all of this division. And there are all of these problems within this body. So he pulls them around the table. And he says this. Isn't the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Koinonia sharing. Isn't the loaf of bread that we break a koinonia or sharing in the body of Christ? So what koinonia actually means is to share, to fellowship, or to actively participate together. Now on the surface, I think a lot of times whenever we think about the church, we think, okay, to fellowship Let's have the barbecue. Let's have the chili cook off. Let's have the time where we have our sewing circle. Not taking away from those things, okay? Those things can be important. Those things can be fun. It's wonderful to get to know other believers better. But what he's specifically talking about is that whenever you go through moments of division, whenever you go through difficulty, whenever you go through the possibility of some people going in one direction and other people going in another direction, you have an obligation spiritually to come together. I was talking to someone recently about our mission statement to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. There is no disclaimer on that mission statement. So if you did enough jail time, you might be too broken. If you've said some really bad things about the church, uh, you might not apply. If you come in because you don't have the resources and there's a body odor or there's an issue with you, you might not apply. All right, Paul is going much further beyond this. And he is saying, if you don't understand how to come together, if you don't understand the importance of reconciliation, the importance of working through conflict, the importance of going through difficult times, how in the world could you ever represent Jesus 
to the world. You see, they do manage to figure this out. And whenever they do figure this out through this sharing, through this fellowship, through this participation, through working through everything that they must work through, the church in Corinth, along with others, begins to multiply. And there are more and more and more and more followers of Jesus, not less. It wasn't optional for them to have a church split. It wasn't optional for them to say, you know what? All of my crew sit on this side of the church and all of the other crew sit on this side of the church and we'll just try to coexist. It was so much deeper than that. Now, there's a reason that I'm sharing this with you today. One of our four values, in fact, uh, uh, core values, one of our four core values, the second one is community. So we have to learn the importance not only of community, but of the experience of communal grace. When we come together, forsaking and forgiving all differences, something special happens. Something absolutely groundbreaking and life-changing happens. When we gossip, when we fight, when we refuse to confront conflict, something very ugly happens. And you see, the world sees it. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be on Twitter for very long, or you don't have to do a Google search for long to find out all of the reasons, and I'm not talking about reasons people believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead or problems that people have from an apologetic perspective, like skepticism. I'm talking about just all of the Christians out there that are doing this thing really, really bad. So how do we change that? How do we live as transformed people? We gather together in our brokenness, in our fear, in our struggle, in our vulnerability around the table. And we accept the love of Jesus in this communal grace. The um, author, Simon Sinek, so, some of you have maybe re read him. He has a podcast. He's more of a, a business writer. But when he's writing about the importance of organizations, he talks about what he calls a circle of safety. All right, the Greek storyteller Aesop, this is in, in one of his books, Leaders Eat Last. The, the Greek storyteller uh, Aesop in the sixth century, he said this, a lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. Many times he tried to attack them, but when he came near them, they turned their tails to one another so that whenever he approached them, he was met by the horns of all of them. At last, however, the oxen argued among themselves. Church people, the oxen argued among themselves and each went off to his own pasture alone in a separate corner of the field. I'm going to do things my way. The lion then attacked them one by one and soon made an end to all four. This is a story of the church, and we are devoured. We are devoured on a regular basis. Why? Lots of personalities, lots of egos, lots of agendas, 
personal politics. Did you hear what she said? I cannot believe he just said that. Did you hear what she just did? And the, and the funny thing about this is it never happens in personal confrontation. It's almost always behind the person's back or the group's back with other church people. We've talked a lot about grace on an individual level, but we must understand communal grace. John Wesley called this social holiness. So we must understand ourselves as a sacramental community. And this means that we are bound together by the blood of Jesus. You see, what separates us, any kind of problems that you can imagine in this world are completely broken down by the power of the blood of Jesus. Every one of you in here, or at least most of you, can talk about what Jesus has done for you, about what you've been able to walk through in your personal life. And because of confidentiality and not going into detail, I just loved hearing my brother here, Cody, get in tears just a few weeks ago at our group when he talked about what God had brought him through. And when we experience this on an individual level, it is a powerful thing. But let me tell you something that is even more powerful. Whenever a community group on Sunday night or a church about our size or a venture team that goes out to work into the community, whenever we use our core values and the things that we care about to show the love of Jesus, as I told you earlier, 81%, you have a changed community. And eventually, if the multiplication process continues, you have a changed region, and you have a changed state, and eventually you have a changed world. You may think, well, that's crazy. People have been saying that for years. I stick by the fact that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing. The question is, are we able to overcome our own egos? and offer grace to one another on a regular basis. This is what Paul is trying to tell them. And really, in this letter, Paul at this point is preaching to them. This is what he says in verse 17 and verse, seven, uh, verse 21, talking about a sacramental community. Since there is one loaf of bread, we who are many, a lot of personalities, a lot of ego, a lot of agenda, we who are many are one body. We are together. We are bound by the blood of Jesus bound. There is nothing that you can do about that unless you make the decision to completely excommunicate yourself from Christ. Because you can't excommunicate yourself from someone else who is in the body. We are one body because we all share the one loaf of bread. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You know what he's saying? You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have it both ways. There's a path. There's an, in, there's an instruction book. There are directions for how you handle the difficult moments of your life. The question is, at the end of the day, are you really willing to put that into practice? 
You can't participate, koinonia, koinonia, in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So here's what Paul is saying. This is what's going on here. When we share in the Lord's Supper together, keep in mind this, this one loaf, this one cup, this is not simply a metaphor. This is something they are doing regularly, much often than most churches are. When we share in the Lord's Supper together, we are doing more than remembering. And remembering is very important. We are doing more than eating. We are becoming willing recipients of God's grace together, not separately. Together. What do you mean together? One loaf. One cup. Most importantly, one body. So when we worship other things, as we often do, we're at odds with God. And also we're at odds with one another. Paul could have used a zillion different analogies to bring these, these early believers together. He could have used a, a, a zillion different things. He could have got out his guitar and said, let's, let's get around the campfire and sing Kumbaya and all love one another. He didn't do that. He went directly to the table and brought in this means of grace. It's not an accident that he used the table. So if you've ever been to a therapist, if you've ever seen a therapist, or you've ever went to see your pastor about an issue that's going on, or a family member, a friend, someone like that with a serious issue, you hope they will show you grace. All right, you really hope they'll show you grace. If you go to your spouse or one of your children or your parent or a friend or a coworker because you've said or done something stupid, you really hope they'll show you grace. We all want that. All right, we all want grace. If you've made the same mistake with the same sin over and over and over, and you have to go to God again and say, I've messed up, you hope you can show yourself grace in those moments. Let me tell you about the power of that table and why it's more than just a memorial or a remembrance. And it is that. Please understand, it is that. There is never a time that I don't go to the table considering what Jesus did for me on the cross and the sacrifice that he made for me. But it's more. It's a way for us to come together. It's a moment of confession in which we must say before we approach the table, something's not right in my heart. I'm harboring a really bitter attitude toward my husband because of how he acted in that boat. I'm harboring some resentment toward someone that's in our church because, because he really, really hurt me. I'm harboring ill will toward someone that I work with because of something that she said that is simply not true. I've said that I'm going to give up this sin, but I continue to live in it every single day and only go to God when I feel really bad or think that I'm in trouble. 
The Lord's table offers grace every single time. It's a fresh start. It's a brand new start. And it's not only a fresh start for you as an individual. It's a fresh start for us as a community of believers as a body. And that's why it's so important. When the people of God meet at the table, revolutionary powers are in our midst. And all of the other idols in this world come crashing down. Now, let me share with you the issue that Beth and I were having uh, on, our, on our trip and kayaking trip and how this applies, all right? While struggling to cooperate, we could hear the suggestions and the laughter and what felt like criticism. It wasn't real criticism because it's family and family loves you. That's what you're told. You know how that goes. But it felt like criticism, all of this coming from outside of the boat. And this had an impact on what was happening inside the boat. We didn't draw anger toward anyone outside of the boat. We drew frustration and bitterness and anger toward one another. We didn't communicate with one another with grace. Instead, we channeled what felt like embarrassment that came from outside the boat. Please hear this today. Please put this in your memory. Go back and listen to this if you need to. The only thing that matters in a marriage, in an individual relationship with God, and especially in the body of Christ, is that you keep your attention inside the boat. There are going to be distractions everywhere around you about what you're doing wrong and how you need to do it better or how you're comparing yourself to dad and Angie just gracefully moving along in that boat together. True story. Keep your attention inside the boat. Here's some helpful tips, and this is for us as a church. Confront any and all problems. If there is someone within this body, now of course we could talk about other people in your life, and you may need to do some of that, but that's outside of the boat language. Right now we're just focusing on the inside of the boat. Confront any and all problems, and that means that if I have an issue with Tammy, and I love Tammy, but if I have an issue with Tammy, it is my responsibility to have a conversation with, Tam with Tammy and for us to completely walk away in a spirit of koinonia and also a beautiful Hebrew word, shalom, a place of peace confront any and all problems. And I don't know enough about this. I, I, I could say this maybe about Believer's Church, but I know that I could say it about a lot of churches. I would say well over 80% of churches 
we don't confront our problems. We sweep them under the rug and we gossip to other church people or talk to other church people about these problems. So we confront any and all problems. That's the first step. Some of you, like uh, my, my oldest daughter, who will often say she, she really, really struggles with conflict. And some of you in here, you would die, you know, before you had to approach someone. I promise if there's something going on, even if it needs to start out, you know, they have these icebreakers today that they didn't when I was younger, like Facebook Messenger and texting and things like that, to where you can at least break the ice before you actually approach someone. Confront things, talk about things, get to the bottom of things. And then the second thing is forgive at all personal costs. You mean all personal costs? You call yourself a follower of Jesus? If you're outside of that community, hold on to whatever you want to hold on to. But not if you're inside the boat. You don't hold on to that. You forgive at all possible costs. Because this is the thing. Your pride, your difficulty confronting things, often the other person or the other group, they they don't even know about it. They don't even know that you're going through this, that you're angry. I mean, you're the only person often that you're hurting. Number three, use your gifting to build others up. If you see within the boat ways that you, you know, some people just have the gift, and this is this would also be my older daughter, but not me. They're just, they're the peacemakers. They're wonderful at using their gifts to bring people together. And then also we look to develop the next generation with this in mind so they don't repeat some of the stupid, boneheaded mistakes because so much of our attention is is going on outside of the boat. It's this kind of focus that takes us away from false gods and keeps us strengthened by the grace of God. The greatest expression of the togetherness of the New Testament, I'm not talking about more important than the cross, more important than the resurrection, but the greatest expression of togetherness, Acts, Corinth, wherever you want to look, the table. Would you pray with me? Father, today we we lift you up. We praise you. We thank you. We ask God as a church. And as we, in a minute, partake in communion, uh, Father, that you, you restore us. Father, you help us uh, to be seen as a radically different community than any number of social clubs you'll find in this town. And that we understand that we're called towards something uh, so much deeper. God, this communal grace that we feel needs to flow into the workplaces of some of the individuals that are in here right now into the families of some of the individuals right now. And, and God, one of my prayers is that if there was a, a man and a woman that were fighting on their way to church this morning, as Beth and I have been there, that they're able to forgive one another and they're able to enjoy their day and they're able to see what you have, have given them together. Father, help us to understand as we take the cup and also as we take the bread that we are experiencing the goodness of God. The goodness of God that lets the broken 
struggling sinner continue to have a seat at the table because that's what your grace means. We lift you up and we praise you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.